Take your Bibles, let's begin turning to Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. If you received a bulletin on your way in, you should have received some sermon notes inside that bulletin. They may be most helpful to you as we begin a new series entitled In Hiding. As you're turning there, let me remind you, we have a recommendation in front of you that we plan to vote on next Sunday on the 15th. If you're a guest or if you did not get one of these a couple of weeks ago, uh, there should be some at the entrances coming into the worship center. It says Phase 2 Renovation Recommendation. Now, as we have moved quickly and trying to capture the scope of the work and the final pricing, I need to offer to you an amendment to our recommendation. We need to amend the top part of that uh, financial cap by $300,000. Once we have defined the scope of work for merging these phases of the education building, upstairs, downstairs, and the fellowship hall, and gathered pricing from uh, Johnson Crease and others, uh, we see it more than what we originally estimated. So the recommendation needs to be amended to a cap of our phase two of 2.4 million. So understand that there is a Q&A time tonight at six o'clock in the fellowship hall. If you have questions, want to find out more, we'll be glad to meet you there. But pray for that. And this pastor is doing his best not to be anxious about that. So. Uh, Let's read in God's Word about um, anxiety, about worry, about caring too much for the things that matter least. We're going to look at engaging biblical answers to our own anxiety. Now, if you're able to stand, let's honor the reading of God's Word by standing. Philippians 4, and I want to begin reading with verse 4. We see at the, as the Apostle Paul is writing, inspired of the Holy Spirit, that there is some anxiety and stress in the church due to disunity. And he implored Eudia and uh, Euodia and Syntyche to be of the same mind. He urged his fellow brothers and sisters to help them be of the same mind. And picking up on that in verse 4, he said, Rejoice in the Lord when? Always, and again I say to you, rejoice. Let your gentleness be made known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by what? Prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. May the Lord guide us as we engage biblical answers 
in the midst of our own anxiety. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that by your spirit, the spirit of truth, that you will guide us in truth. And Father, as we have your word open and as your word is our guide, we pray that we will know truth today in the midst of anxious times. And Father, the truth of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit at work within us will set us free. May we live to bring you glory in the midst of life that is uncertain, but as we live this uncertain life with a God who never changes. And your promises are worth believing in, and you're worthy of our trust. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Did any of you grow up playing hide-and-seek? Remember that game? Boy, I, I could find some pretty creative places so that the person who was seeking would be sure not to find me. Now, there's another time and another place I can talk about near-death experiences of the creative places I've found to hide. Sometimes I could hide in places I had difficulty getting out of, but that's for another day. Though few adults still play hide-and-seek, you might, with grandkids or great-grandkids, the truth is that we all hide at times. Perhaps our hiding today is behind a mask that we put on, particularly on Sunday, the Lord's Day. And so when we come to church and we enter in our life groups or we enter in our worship setting, and inevitably somebody will ask, how are you just kind of extemporaneously, we're going to roll off our lips, I'm fine. When inside, you know you're really not okay at all. Sometimes we hide isolating or withdrawing or becoming inactive, maybe in your life group, maybe in worship, maybe in your family activities. Maybe you find it hard to get up and go to work and you withdraw, you isolate, you hide. Here's what we really see in Scripture, that hiding has been the M.O. of humans ever since the first couple tasted the forbidden fruit in the garden. Whether it's shame or whether it's guilt or whether it is fear, hiding has always been attractive when our hearts are overwhelmed or overcome by things in this life like our own sin, like the sins of others, our circumstances have become really difficult. But the God, is, our God is the one who is calling each of us today through his word by the power of his Holy Spirit out of hiding. We go back to the garden and we see the Lord God Almighty coming and walking in the garden and he called for Adam and he called for Eve. Why? Because they were hiding in the garden after they were overcome with their own sin and their own guilt. Still today, the gospel message calls you and calls me out of hiding. Still today, even for believers, good church-going believers, we are tempted to hide in life circumstances or withdraw or isolate or put on a mask and not let anybody see inside that we really are struggling with real-life things. But the gospel keeps calling us out. Ephesians chapter 5, here's what the Apostle Paul said to those believers. He said, for you once 
were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Once you were dark, but now you're light in the Lord. Therefore, walk or live as children of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. During this sermon series, we'll address head-on some sins, some circumstances that leave us all wanting to hide. Anxiety, loneliness, abuse, addiction, pornography are some of the leading things that we as a staff could think about that church folks struggle with and run and hide because of. My prayer is that we will take a bold step of faith and come out of hiding and into the marvelous light of God's presence and God's power at work within us. My life-dominating struggles, may those and those sins that habitually trip us up be broken by the one true chain-breaker who is mighty to save because he lives forevermore today. I pray that you will come out of hiding and embrace the help that you need in Christ. Our first topic on your sermon notes is anxiety. Anxiety is one of those things that often makes us want to jump in bed and pull the covers over our head and just stay isolated in darkness. There's a definition, a fair definition of anxiety to give you an idea of what we're talking about when we look at anxiety biblically. Uh, Anxiety is a state of intense apprehension, a state of uncertainty, a state of fear resulting from the anticipation of an unknown or poorly defined threatening event or situation. And so anxiety is, is being worried, being extremely fearful to the point of paralysis of things that are unknown or poorly defined or maybe not even real. The Greek word for anxiety, for worry, that is often translated uh, anxious or care is merimnao. It's a compound word. Look at this. Merizo is the word for to divide. And noose is the word for mind. So anxiety results often from a divided mind in the child of God. Hang on to that concept. I'm going to be Captain Obvious here for a moment. We all struggle at some level with this thing called anxiety. The spectrum spans from low-grade anxiety on the one end to full-blown panic attacks on the other. But the issues of life that create anxiety, we need to understand, are common to all mankind, to everyone sitting in this place. You're not alone if you're tempted to be anxious. What are some of the things that make us anxious and have anxiety? Sickness can make you anxious. Suffering. What about facing death or growing older? What about the approval from others? Here's what we learned statistically, that anxiety in 
in uh, elementary school age, in middle school age. It's happening earlier and earlier in the lives of our children. We're talking about severe anxiety. What about dating? What about marriage? What about struggles to have children? Those couples that are married and desire so much to have a family and they're struggling to get pregnant. What about comparing yourself to others? And this is where social media is a beast that we see and hear all the posts of those who are on social media and we feel uh, inadequate and we grow very anxious based upon what we think they are based upon their post and what they really are, what we know we are. What about when we lose someone we love? What about the loss of health or income or a desire to be loved or a desire to belong? What about parents, kids turning 16? Any anxiety temptations there? What about the price tag of a wedding? What about future events that are beyond our control? We don't know what the stock market's going to do next week. We don't know what tariff threats are going to do. Uh, We don't know what the end time is fully going to look like. All of us, hang on to this, even good church-going followers of Christ wrestle with the temptation to be overly anxious at times. Amen? Write down this verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It will apply to anxiety. No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God is faithful. God has already provided for His children a tried and true way of escape from sinful anxiety. God's plan of escape in our lives begins with a brand new birth. It's called salvation. It's called your conversion. It's called being born again. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, what happens when we're saved is we become a new creation in Christ. So you are made new. There's a new person. But we're a new creation in Christ. There's a new position. The reason that we can battle with sinful anxiety is because we are now in Christ and not just in ourselves and in our sins. We have a hope. We have a help. But also we have a new power. And that power is the power of the Holy Spirit of God in us. But it begins with spiritual birth, but it continues throughout your life spiritually as a child of God. Romans 12, 1 and 2. We are renewed in our minds by the washing in of God's Word. So the way that we battle anxiety as children of God is through a new birth. That means we're a new person with a new position with a new power. And we battle it with the Word of God being washed into our minds, renewing our thoughts according to God's good pleasure. Now let me just kind of frame it a little bit differently. We can learn to live victoriously over anxiety because God's already provided abundant resources for us to experience the abundant life. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it how? More abundantly. It doesn't mean pain-free. It doesn't mean struggle-free. It doesn't mean that we'll never have adversity, but in the midst of the adversity, we have Jesus. And we have sufficiency. There are three things that you have in Christ. You have the Word of God. That is truth. The standard of our truth. Remind you, Jesus said in, chapter, in John chapter 8 and verse 32, 
If you abide in my word, that's a marker that you are my disciple. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall do what, church? Set you free. Guess what? One thing it sets us free from, sinful anxiety. But if you're not abiding in the Word, you're not acting like a disciple of Christ, it takes abiding in the Word of God to know the mind of Christ, and it takes the mind of Christ to battle against the sinful flesh mind of anxiety and worry. We not only have the Word of God, but we have prayer. We can talk with God. We can hear God and re respond to us that we can commune with Him and offer our requests to Him. We also have the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our life. Here's another passage I want you to write down. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. For though we walk in the flesh or live in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or of the flesh, but they're mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. In God, we're able to cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We're able to bring into, thought, bring into captivity every thought into the obedience of Christ, being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So here's the reality. In Christ, in that relationship we have in Him, we have abundant resources to live abundantly in Christ. Now, we have to apply them. They have to be appropriated in our life. So, yes, we can learn to live victoriously over anxiety, but it's not automatic. It takes discipline. It takes obedience to the truth of the Word of God. So, in other words, though possible, it's not always easy to live victoriously over anxiety. Any witnesses there? There's one or two. The rest of you, there's confession time in just a moment. Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, he said, Timothy, discipline yourself toward godliness. It gives us an idea. To grow up in Christ's likeness or to appropriate the power of God at work in our life that he's already made possible for us, we have to roll up our sleeves and we have to be disciplined toward godliness. In the same, uh, in the same book, in chapter 6, he said, Timothy, you need to understand that godliness with contentment is great gain. I want to ask you, are you content in Christ? Because the secret to battling anxiety is a, con a contentment in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before we finish the sermon notes, and I'm going to speed through them and give biblical insights and a biblical game plan in the midst of anxiety, I want you to, to grasp the depth of the battle of anxiety. At its core, anxiety, sinful anxiety, is a heart issue. I heard this statement recently, and it applies here. You feel what you feel because you do what you do because you want what you want. Let that sink in. You feel what you feel because you do what you do. And you do what you do because you want what you want. So what do you want? What are your desires? So the significance of the struggle with anxiety goes all the way to the heart of what your desires are what your beliefs are, what your thinking's like. Your anxieties point to what you really desire the most. 
What are you anxious about today? What brings that anxiety? What makes that heart race? What makes the palms get sweaty? What brings that, that lump in your stomach and that nausea and, and that anxiety, all those symptoms? What makes you anxious today? Here's the truth. Anytime you love or want something deeply, you will notice fear and anxiety that you might not get it. In other words, if you desire comfort more than anything else, I just want to live a life of comfort, guess what you're going to fear? Anything that brings discomfort. If you really, really desire to have the approval of people, guess what you're going to fear? People's rejection and people criticizing you. That's going to bring you great anxiety. If you really want to be loved, guess what you're going to fear? Rejection and not being loved. And so... What are your desires? Are your desires biblical desires? That's a check mark. Your anxieties also reveal what you really believe about God and His care for you. Do you really believe God loves you more than anybody else? Do you really believe God desires your greatest good? Do you really believe the God who loves you more than anybody else and desires your greatest good like nobody else can be trusted? With your money, with your time, in your relationships, in order to give you guidance. So your anxieties reflect what you really believe about God. Do you have right thinking about who He is in your life? Let me give you this disclaimer before we fill out the notes. Anxiety is not something that overtakes you and you are helpless to fight it. It's not. There are some instances to where you have a true organic medical condition, such as some type of cardiac, respiratory, or endocrine system diseases. They're out there. Now, hear me, church, and hear me clearly. Mental illness is a serious thing in our culture, and I do not take mental illness lightly. However, the vast majority of anxiety has a root of disobedience and not a root of disorder. You need to let that sink in. There are way too many disobedient children of God experiencing sinful anxiety, not because they can't help it, but because they're not being obedient to the truth of God's Word. Even if you're here this morning and even if you have one of those medical conditions and you do have a real disorder, these biblical truths will help. And so I'm not knocking or making light over things that are real, but I am saying the majority of the things that we see through worry and anxiety, that sinful anxiety are issues of disobedience and not disorder. So when does a common anxious spirit become sinful anxiety? I'm glad you asked. You ready? When our thoughts are unproductive or we become totally consumed with stuff, with things. When this anxiety controls us and causes us to neglect relationships and responsibilities. When, when you cease to be responsible. When this anxiety harms your body upset stomach, ulcers, migraines, loss of sleep, all the heart conditions, uh, everything that comes along with it. When this anxiety causes you to lose hope instead of embracing biblical answers, it's sinful anxiety. 
when this anxiety makes you stop functioning and you become totally overwhelmed with this thing called life and all the issues that come in this life, then it's sinful anxiety. So no matter where you are in the struggle with anxiety, I believe you can experience the peace of God in your life because that's the promise of God. Peace, by the way, is the opposite of worry and anxiety. You don't walk with both of them. Number one, biblical insights on sinful anxiety. Now, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34 is a power chapter in dealing with anxiety. I'm going to state these statements that are printed. You go back and study this chapter because I don't have time to break it down. I want to finish up with Philippians chapter 4. Number one, biblical insights on sinful anxiety. This is, these are red-letter words, which means this is what Jesus was saying about it. Anxiety can stem from a wrong focus. Verse 25 begins with a therefore. Every time you see a therefore, you must look and see what it is. It goes back to verses 19 through 24 that refer to materialism, that end with this statement, no one can serve two masters. So where is your preoccupation? Are you preoccupied with things that are temporal and material? B, anxiety fails to remember God's sufficiency. Look at verse 26. Verse 26 of Matthew 6. He said, look at the birds of the air. And then later on, he said, look at the lilies of the field. Jesus used familiar visuals of God's creation to remind his audience how God who created the birds of the air and the lilies of the field provides for them every day. Now, here's the hook. You are the crown of God's creation. You are the image bearers of this creator God. You are far more important than a flower in the field and a bird in the air because you have a living soul and you bear the image of the living God. Don't you think this God who created you in his own image as his image bearer and crowned you the crown of his creation, don't you think he'll take care of you if he'll take care of a bird every day and a flower of the field that's here today and gone tomorrow? Pretty good lesson, isn't it? Verse 27, anxiety is useless. It's not going to lengthen the days of your life. It's not going to get you another 18 inches anywhere. In fact, medical science has told us severe anxiety is going to subtract years off your life, not add them. Verse 30, anxiety can stem from a lack of faith. Uh-oh. Didn't that what Jesus said in verse 30? At the end, O you of what? What do you believe about God? It matters. Uh, verse 32, anxiety is a worldly response. Wait a minute. You were once darkness, but now you're light. Put off that old and put on the new. And so uh, he said, after these things the Gentiles seek. And in this passage, it's referring to those who don't belong to Almighty God. And so basically, we should be able to experience life differently than those who are outside of Christ. It's a worldly response, not a faith response. Verse 33, anxiety distracts from the most important. Verse 33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things that you have a tendency to worry about will be added to you. Sinful anxiety sends us off on a senseless, useless, faithless detour. 
Whereas right priority, a single focused mind, the opposite of a divided mind, single focused mind, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then verse uh, 34, anxiety robs the joy of today. This phrase is a familiar phrase in our culture, perhaps. Life is what happens to you while you are busy making other plans. Ever heard that? Anybody ever heard of the Beatles? They kind of made that statement popular. But Jesus is letting you know life's going to happen around you and leave you behind if you're worried about what tomorrow's going to bring. It's going to rob you of the joy of today. Trust Jesus today and trust Jesus for tomorrow. And that doesn't mean to be foolish stewards. There's a place for good stewardship and wise planning. It's not what he's saying. But let's end up in Philippians chapter 4. A biblical game plan for dealing with anxiety. When a coach goes into a game facing an opponent, that coach has a strategy. That strategy is not necessarily every single play that they're going to run in the scope of that game, whatever that game is. But that strategy has some idea about what the opponent is, where their strengths and where their weaknesses are. That strategy has some idea about what your team brings to the table, what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses. And a good game plan would be to try to exaggerate the weaknesses of the other team. And a good game plan would be trying to magnify the strengths of your own team. And so this is kind of like a coach's game plan going into a game. It's not necessarily play-by-play, but it is a strategy that is tried and true that will help you be right-focused and in right position to live victoriously over anxiety. First out of the gate, Paul says in verse 4, what's the first word right there? (laughs) Rejoice! Rejoice in the Lord! And again, I say rejoice. Here's something you need to know. Rejoice here is a command. It's a present active imperative in the Greek. It calls for continual habitual practice of rejoicing. What does rejoicing mean? Be joyful. Have joy. By the way, that's the theme of the letter of Philippians. Be joyful. And so Paul gives us a biblical command that we need to obey. Be joyful or rejoice. And he doesn't stop there. He says, in the Lord. Then the Bible says God is great and greatly to be praised. And, and, and so Paul is saying, now you need to understand, no matter where you are, no matter what age you are, no matter what life circumstances are, you can always rejoice in the Lord. And then he used that word, always. Does that mean when life is good? Yes. Does that mean when life hurts and is difficult? Yes, even in difficult times. Question, where is Paul when he's penning these words? He's in prison. What's the circumstances of the believers of Philippi? Most difficult. And so Paul is saying to those from prison who are living in harsh circumstances, rejoice in the Lord. And by the way, his repetition of rejoice meant it's not going to be easy to do, but roll up your sleeves and do it anyway. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, hey, dear church at Philippi, dear believers, those who are struggling, Rejoice in the Lord. It's a good word for us. Knowledge of God is our key to rejoicing. High view of God, low anxiety. 
Low view of God, high anxiety. Does that make sense? The bigger your God, the smaller your anxiety. The smaller your God, the bigger your anxiety. And so Paul is calling us, saying, anxiety doesn't have to overtake you. Anxiety comes in and dwells when you open the door and let it come in and dwell, unless you have a condition that's beyond your norm. Do I believe that God loves me more than any other? Do I believe He desires my greatest good like no other? Do I really believe He works for my greatest good and His greatest glory every single day? Do I really believe that God can take everything and work it for good? Paul encouraged the Philippians in verse 19. He said, you need to understand, I know you're going without some things. I know you know what poverty is. I know you know what adversity is. But my God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory. But he said, rejoice in the Lord. Number two, game plan. Be gentle. That kind of seems out of, out of sync, doesn't it? Out of place a little bit. Uh, the... The Greek word is far more rich than any single English word can convey, but as close as, as I can get, perhaps the best corresponding English word is graciousness. The humble graciousness that produces the ability to be patient during endurance. Let your graciousness be known. What's happening in Euodia and Syntyche? They're not being real gracious to each other. They're at odds with one another. There's division in the church. When does anxiety come? When relationships are in strife. That's one of the key points of anxiety. Paul is saying to believers, let your gentleness, your gracious humility be evident to all. Do you understand it is a gracious, humble attitude that helps us endure hard times? Do we ever exalt ourselves in the face of a holy God and our creator God and say, I deserve better than this? Do you ever say, I didn't deserve this. I didn't sign up for this. I didn't ask for this. This is not fair. Here's, here's a news flash. Life isn't fair. It's not even fair to the people of God, but God is holy and God is just and God is fair. And he is worthy to be trusted. And so Paul is telling us, let your gentleness be made known to all. Those who have it better than you and those who have it worse than you. But be gracious toward all. By the way, gracious humility runs counter to self-love. Jesus said, now, the only way you can follow me and be my disciples is deny what? Self, take up your cross and follow me. And so Jesus understood we have to get self out of the way. And so this gracious humility, this gentleness is opposite of self-love. And so we need to empty out. He gave us a reason for this. He said, for the Lord is at hand. You see it? Now it has two meanings. I, I think it's a double meaning here. It can mean that the Lord's coming is near, that he is the soon and coming king, and it's imminent. He can come back at any time. I believe that's a biblical statement. But it also can mean that the Lord's presence is continually here. Do we hear in Scripture that promise that says, I will never leave you nor forsake you? Does that mean when life hurts, God's there? Yes. 
Does that mean when adversity strikes, God's there? Yes. Does that mean when my health fails, God is there? Yes. Does that mean when I, I, I am sinned against and hurt by other believers that God is there? Yes. Does that mean when I become rebellious and I am sinful that God is there? Yes, it does. And so he said, be gentle. But we've got to keep going. Look at verse 6. This is normally what we camp out on, isn't it? Be anxious for nothing. I like, the, uh, in, I like the translation, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. But he says it's present active imperative again. Calls for a continual habitual practice of not worrying. Now when the Bible says do not be anxious for anything and gives us a command not to worry, it means we can choose not to worry. Hello? Do you understand we live in a culture that says it just comes over me. I have no control over it. It's just the way I was born. It's my heritage. It's whatever it is. I have no control. God says, oh, no, you're in Christ. You have the ability to resist the sinful temptation of anxiety. Remember, this is not some light-hearted, tongue-in-cheek command from an apostle that is basking in the shade of a palm tree on a resort island. He's in prison. His life is being threatened. He doesn't know what tomorrow is going to be for him. Few things are going right for the apostle at this point. The believers to whom he is writing originally had more things to worry about than most of us ever will in a lifetime. They knew poverty. They knew what it was like to go hungry because they didn't have enough. They understood what it meant to be ostracized. They understood the pressure of trying to fit in and the persecution for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't have much. They were struggling, but what they did have, they had Christ. And Paul says, you can choose not to be anxious because you have Christ. Sinful anxiety doesn't just happen to you beyond your control unless you have a condition that uh, is, is an, an exception. Sinful anxiety happens because you give in to it. Now that rubs you raw some places, doesn't it? Here's the cure. Look at the, uh, verse 6. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. There's the command. Prayer is the cure for sinful anxiety. Three synonyms, prayer, supplication, request, all refer to specific direct offerings to God. The assumption of the text is that believers will cry out to God when they have a need or a problem. I was reading in the psalm this morning uh, early as the sun was coming up and King David was crying out, Oh God, how long will you be silent? Oh God, will you, will you take care of the enemy? Will you uh, avenge? Will you... Father, deliver me. He was crying out to God. We too need to cry out to God. But look at the, the qualification of prayer in verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with what? Oh, how long do you spend in your prayer thanking God? Here's a challenge for you. If you're tempted to be anxious and that anxiety consume you, I want you to go home today and start a list of everything that you're thankful for. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 says, Give thanks to God 
always in all things for this is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus that's what he told him to do before that be joyful and pray always and then be thankful for this is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus thankful prayer brings release from fear and worry because God affirms it affirms God's sovereign control over every circumstance so the answer to anxiety is the peace of God. When we choose to rejoice, when we choose to let our gracious humility be known, when we choose to resist worry and we choose to pray and with thanksgiving in our heart what the promise of God is, then rather than that anxiety that stresses you and makes you sick, then the peace of God comes in. And he says it's the peace of God. It's not man's peace, it's God's peace. It's a divine peace. It's a peace that transcends all understanding. It's almost indescribable. Have you ever had that? In times that you should not be peace-filled, but you were filled with peace, the peace that came from God, it is that peace that transcends all understanding. And then he also said that peace will, when you rejoice, when you let your gentleness be known, when you resist to worry in a sinful way, and you pray with thanksgiving, then that peace will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That's good news, isn't it? It literally is a military term that says it will stand guard. It will be on duty to keep out anything that brings the sinless care and anxiety into your life. But it takes prayer. It takes rolling up your sleeves. It takes discipline. It takes spiritual fervor. Look at verse 8. The next blank is think right. It does matter how you think. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, Jesus said, Father, your word is true. Psalm 19.9 says, The judgments of the Lord are true. Psalm 119.151, All your commandments are truth. So the Bible is true because the God of truth has given it to us. So how do we think on the things that are true? The word of God. You've got to abide in the word of God. Whatever things are noble or honorable, whatever things are just and right. Where do we learn those things? Right here in the Word of God. Whatever things are pure or holy and morally clean, the Word of God. Whatever things are lovely, those things that are sweet and gracious, generous and patient, God's Word. Whatever things are of good report, where do we find those things? The Word of God. And then he gives us a command. Meditate on these things. That's more than reading it on a page. That word meditate means to evaluate. It means to study, to consider, to calculate. Believers are to consider the qualities that Paul has listed in this verse and meditate on what it means for your everyday life. The verb form calls for habitual discipline of the mind to set all thoughts on these spiritual virtues. Romans 12, 2. Stop being conformed to the standard of the world or the way the world thinks. Rather, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does that happen? Through the washing in of the Word of God. Are you with me? Proverbs 23, 7 reminds us, For as he thinks within himself, so is he. You cannot defeat sinful anxiety outside of abiding in the Word of God.
Look at verse 9. These things which you've learned and received and heard and saw. Learned, received, heard, and saw. Then what? You got to do it. Church, it's not enough to know. James said, don't be hearers of the word only, but be doers of the word. We must practice. It means a repetition or continuous act, action. Guess what this is? Present active command, imperative in the Greek. Just as a lawyer or a doctor has a practice, believers are to make it our normal practice to lead godly, obedient lives resisting anxiety. We have not learned these things until we start living them, practicing them, doing them. So the whatever's become a reality based upon the choices we make every day. When anxiety appears, the cure is prayer. When the life is disorderly, the cure is mental and practical discipline. So for the anxiety sufferers that are here today, I want to ask you, will you take a bold step of faith and commit to engage in biblical truth in the midst of your anxiety? Will you embrace this biblical game plan for your daily journey? King David declared in Psalm 18, You light a lamp before me. The Lord my God lights up my darkness. He will. He will bring you out of darkness and into light. Will you make a commitment to abide in Christ and let him light up your darkness? Psalm 119, 105 is a memory verse many of us hide to in our heart. Your word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Will you make a commitment to abide in God's word this week and allow him to light your path? David testified in Psalm 27, 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I fear? Will you take God at his word this morning and trust in him? In a moment, we're going to sing and and I'll be at the front. It'll be a time for you to listen and respond to the Holy Spirit. I really believe these biblical insights in Matthew 6, but also the game plan for Philippians 4 is a plan that God will set us free through from sinful anxiety. We're going to struggle with the same things everybody else in this world struggles with. But how we live in the midst of that struggle distinguishes our light in the midst of darkness. It's not about us, but it's about the light of Christ shining through us. So if you're a sufferer from sinful anxiety, overwhelming anxiety, you've got to abide in Christ through prayer and abide in his word. You've got to roll up your sleeves and engage in spiritual discipline toward godliness and find contentment in the person of Jesus Christ. What are you anxious about? What do you desire most in this life? Are those biblical desires? And what do you believe about the God of this word? Is he little or is he big? Let's pray. Father, we ask your help as we go through to listen. I pray that we've heard some truth that applied to where we are. And Father, we pray that by the truth of your word, the power of your Holy Spirit, you will indeed 
set us free. Father, we know it's not your will that we spend each day worrying over things that we cannot change, being overly anxious to the point of being overwhelmed in life to where we're not living our life to your glory, we're not witnessing to those around us of your power at work within us, we're not on mission making disciples because we're too consumed with self. So, Father, I pray that you'd help us take our eyes off of us and lift our eyes to Jesus. Help us to gaze full in his wonderful face. Help us to understand, Father, the love that you've loved us with and the extent of that love that took Jesus to the cross. So he laid down his life and shed his blood, was buried but rose again so that we can today come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find that grace for our time of need. Thank you that we have a high priest that understands. He can empathize, but he is a victorious high priest and he can give us victory over our anxieties. So Father, I pray in this time we might roll over these anxieties to you in Jesus' name. Amen.